Hey, I can't think of much to say on this one except we're coming to the end ever so slowly. I've got next season working. I'll probably start outlining it soon and we'll dive into that and then I'll start dropping hints as the sun rises. I guess I can say I am back home now so the recording quality will resume its usual whatever this is. Anyway, let's get to it. Previously, on Goddessy. Every passing day leads the Tuathadidanon closer to the final battle with the Fomorians. Lou of the Long Arm, Olaverin and wielder of the Spear of Asal, has been tasked by the Dagda to train the youths of their people in battle and lore to assist his grandfather in making a way to preserve life lost in battle and recruit the old god of war Nit, as well as all three faces of the Morrigan. His tasks are many, and his time is short. Welcome to Goddessy, Episode 20, Queen of Forge and Fire. Again, but this time, try not to take each other's heads off. They wielded oak sticks as if they were spears, not carved things worked into neat staves, but gnarly, uneven weapons that they wielded with the utmost despair. Their hands were covered in ripped fabric, as much to protect them from new wounds as from the ones they already had. The two girls were breathing hard, but they were absolutely dedicated to the fight. A yell, and they were back at it, blow by blow, parry by parry. Lou was impressed. He was replicating the lessons of Tirnanog fairly well, he thought. Today there were nearly two dozen students, here to learn herbalism as well as martial combat. Most of them showed basic aptitude for creating a simple healing bomb and for wrapping a wound, but they would not be his first or second choice for who to go to. Now, as the noonday sun began its downward descent, he had them working hard on fighting, the boys and the girls of the tribe beneath fifteen years of age. The harvest had been collected. The king had decreed that all youth needed education and training. Most were being trained at home by relatives or parents or extended family, while the children of the villages near Tara were here, being trained accordingly by the Olaverin. Theirs was a more robust education, Lou had to admit, and a more painful one, he assumed. Beyond the two girls, every pairing sparred, with a group of three going at it at the edge of the grove. Each dance had its own rhythm, most of them learning to be furious. A few still had smiles on their faces, speaking as they fought, and that was not in and of itself a bad thing, but concentration was harder taught than told. Soon the combat sessions were as close to ending as they would be, stubbornness keeping more than a few of them going well after their fatal blow. That was good, very good. Most of you are improving. The rest of you will hopefully not see battle, but that matters little. We all must be prepared for it. The final battle will involve all of us. But as we fight, I ask that we reflect on something. Why do we fight? There came several voices from the labor-breathing crowd. For our existence. For Dominion of Ireland. For our survival. For our future. And all of those are right. We do fight to survive. We do fight for control of the island. We do fight for our future. But there's an other element to it. We fight that we may fight again. Never forget that martial arms are what keep us safe. The Fomorians will not be the last invaders, just as we are not. 
that Ireland be ours, we fight more than Fomorians. We fight fate itself. He was certain the profundity of that was lost on them. New partners, whoever is in the group of three, I want you practicing two on one. Continue. Then there came a clapping from the edge of the grove, and there she stood, his aunt, Ermid, a wry grin across her face. He returned the smile, and the two met, embracing. I wonder if you hear yourself sometimes, nephew. Better I not listen for fear of what comes out of my mouth. What brings you to Tara? How are things at home with Grandfather? They walked to the edge of the grove, the same druid grove where only two weeks prior the Dagda had given him his lessons. A fine place for teaching, he thought, full of light, cooler air, and privacy to be made fools and make fools of others. Lou suspected he would be a fool more than once in this conversation. Ermid's tone changed. I was hoping you could spare him a visit. We've left home and are now at near Bruna Boyne. Even so, with your speed you could be there and back again in a flash. Lou frowned. That bad, then. Are he and Mick at each other's throats yet? Well past being at their throats, more like they are down them. Every healer in the aisle is there working on an idea of grandfather's making. A kind of well whose energies could revive the warriors from long distances, keep them alive despite their wounds. A way to guarantee we survive the battle. Lou did not like the sound of that. That was their best resort? I can tell from your look that you think the same as Mick. This is not a good first plan, nor a good second. I am working on different healer kits myself, but Mick is a good son. He is working on Father's plan, bringing innovation into it, which many of the healers are amazed by. But it irks Father to see it, to see such genius that is not his own. Lou shook his head as the nearby pair of boys fought one another to a standstill, growling with an intense fire. Why is he so set on being right all the time? The boy nearest him faltered and was thrown back. The smaller boy drove his stick into the other's shoulder. The larger boy screamed out and tripped the smaller boy, continuing the duel. Ermid sighed, watching the battles before her. The Dagda was not the most loving of fathers. Each of his children have their own eccentricities, and each of them seeks to be the best in his shining eyes. Angus, Dianset, Brigid. Yet, Angus and Brigid do not have to try to receive praise. Brigid is always first in his heart, and though Grandfather will never admit it, he finds Angus taking Bruna Boyne from him brilliant. Father has never received such praise. He finds it in others, Nuada especially. Yet he replicates this distaste for brilliant in his own children that he felt with his own father. That's what I think. Mick thinks differently, but he sees father more darkly than I do. That's why I'm the one forced to keep the peace. How did one get much darker than that? Dean's set was unpleasant, Lou had to admit, but he would never have thought him so petty. But then, he knew Dean set was that petty. Wishful thinking on his part did not help. He thought of the sons of Turian, of his own reasons for not healing them. Was that any more justified than Dean Set's cruelty and rage? Speaking of Bridget, continued Aramid, her tone changing once more. Have you spoken to Bridget yet? I have no doubt Grandfather told you to keep an eye on her. Lou sighed. It's as if she's hiding from me. Every time I seek her in court, she is absent. Every time I seek her elsewhere, she is gone. 
When I do see her, it is in passing. For a queen who is good at her job, she is vexing in how she avoids audiences with her most trusted of servants. Perhaps you are not as trusted as you thought, Airman suggested, Lou taken aback by the mere suggestion. What do you mean? All of this is happening because of you, and she supported you despite what it has cost her. Yet now, she has lost the one thing that kept her going through all the years of her marriage to Brez. Ruidin now stands as a Fomorian. Her child, her only son, is a known traitor. Who is to blame for that? Lou blinked. Brez, I should think. And you would be right. But she cannot blame Brez here, can she? He is in the north, hiding behind enemy lines. But you? You're here. You are the fire starter to the wildfire, and it is quickly burning out of control. If you were a goddess of fire, like Bridget, would that not irk you? A fire burning out of control is a danger to everything, including itself. The words came back to him, what the Calic had said, that Bridget would become a sovereign queen after she had tasted sorrow. The look Ruidan had given him, the boy had to be protected. Bridget would lose much, but she could not lose him or it risked her becoming a sovereign queen of Ireland. After the final battle with the Fomorians, could he trust her in the conflict with the fair folk of Tirnanog? I will seek her out before I leave for Bruna Boyne this eve, then. Tell Mick and Grandfather that I am coming. Then, I will assist as my magic allows. Is Angus part of this? Ermit shrugged. As his vanity allows. Mostly he's too busy serenading all the pretty young youth that come from the village on the River Boyne near the sea. Sometimes he's out at battle with Medir. A sore point, and Ermid realized she had touched it. She placed a hand on his shoulder. Your time will come. Samhain is coming and the Dagda will return. When he does, you will have your taste of battle before the final one begins. She placed a kiss on his cheek and left the grove. Left in her wake were yells of angry teenagers beating each other senseless with sticks and mild annoyance. The rumors were true. Bridget was hiding out at the forges. Of all the things, of all the places Lou would have expected to find her, it was not here. At Kildare, where she had a private home on the river? That he would have expected. At the court of Nuada, in her own bedchamber? Her guard said she had not slept there in a week, despite her presence at court. Lou believed them from their exacerbated speech. It was not until he sought out Gavita that he discovered the truth over a flag and a veil and fine geese. Lou had concluded his daily Ogham lessons and was desperate. She's been at my forge for days, boy. Working hard, I must admit. Aunt Bridget has shown me a thing or two that I never would have thought of. Her craftsmanship is a fine thing, but what she really stands out is how inspirational and supportive she is to all of us at the forge. I do work better because Aunt Bridget is there. Lou admitted to himself how complicated the genealogy of his own family was, how appearance rarely matched reality. Bridget looked younger than Gavita despite being his aunt. Just as Ermid was as young as Lou was, it was actually older than his own father. Dean Set was younger than Bridget, but older than youthful Angus, yet appeared older than both and their father, the Dagda. Whoever Danu was, their fabled ancestor of the East, whatever her powers... She was not a goddess of sensible family history. Then I shall go to her. Is she alone in the forges? Gavita shrugged. 
I can but assume. Most of the smiths go home by twilight. But she is merciless. An ever-burning fire. That is where he found her. She wore a simple tunic of blue, the sleeves of which ran into her gloved hands as she poured the heated metal into cast, making spearheads. Once done, she took a tool and began to carve into their heads the triple spiral shape of Bruna Boyne, marking each weapon as hers. Her hair was pulled back into a bun covered in a kerchief of green, her hair as fiery as ever. Her eyes seemed yellow in the forge's firelight. Are you going to speak, Kian son? Are you going to gawk at your great aunt as she works? I had not known you a smith, is all. You are as skilled as Gavita. She continued her work without looking up, moving meticulously on the heated surface. Like Gavita, she showed no fear of the fire as she carved the shapes. No, I am not. Why are you here? Not to be impressed, that much is certain. You are avoiding me. I am avoiding distraction. Is this not a distraction? No, it is hard work. We need spearheads before the battle, do we not? I am here to inspire good work and do good work. Why are you here with your many skills? Should you not also be working? Lou took down an apron and some gloves and checked the work that could be done. She was manning three projects by herself and all of them seemed well at hand. How could he possibly help? What was left of the molten metal he turned into nails, something he could do quickly with little effort and great precision. He was not a great craftsman like his uncle or apparently Bridget but he was skilled enough to pull this off effortlessly. Is this work worthy of you, though? He said at last, breaking the silence after what felt like hours. Are you... This work is the only thing I can do right now, Lou. My role as queen is merely to appear beside Nuada and give him counsel. To console widows and widowers at the loss of their spouses, their children, their siblings. I cannot train warriors. I am not asked to the healing counsels of my brother at Bruna Boyne, though I am every bit as much a healer as he is. I cannot be a mother. She cut off, growling as she looked away before catching herself. Taking a breath, she wiped away the glistening sweat from her skin, perfect despite the heat at the forge. Lou noticed how much hotter it was, how much more it burned him. How did she not feel that, being so much closer to the fire? No, Lou. I am a craftswoman. I make many things, be it weapons or simple tools to use around the homestead. I have many skills, and of all of them, this is the only useful one for now. And so I will use them, and when we arrive at the final battle, I will burn our enemies to nothing. But not before I have found my son. Do you understand? She paused, not letting him answer, and continued. I do not blame you. You must feel that way, I realize, and I am sorry to make you feel that way. I do not, though. Ruudin hates you because you are a threat to his father. But you did what was necessary. You are a druid now. You understand what necessary sacrifice is, yes? That is the necessary sacrifice that all of our people be freed. I am making that sacrifice, and I do so willingly. But do not think I do so passively. This is not something that happened to me. This is a situation I can and will manage. I will plan, and I will see my plan through. You will find Ruidin in battle. I will kill Brez myself, and then I will make Ruidin see reason. You do not factor into this. You are merely the instrument, the reason for Ruidin's defection. She went back to work, and for his part, Lou did the same. 
relief was worth it. In time, Lou ran out of material to make nails from, and put them in the barrel of nails Gavita kept handy. Soon Bridget and Lou were working together, hammering away at swords and spearheads, creating arrowheads. Such was their magic at work, the magic of Tara working within them, that they produced a week's worth of goods in the span of a few hours. Lou lost scent of himself, and wiping away the sweat, realized he had promised Ermid he would join them at Bruna Boyne. They paused, both seeming to have something to say. Before either could say it, they heard the scream. Lou had left the Spear of Assal in his quarters down the hill, but still had Fragrak. He took one of the spears they had made, as did Bridget. At her touch, the spearhead erupted into fire as they emerged from the blacksmith hut. More screaming and near the stone of fall, illuminated by the waning moon, there was a woman on her knees trying to use the night's dew to wash something off of her hands. Each touch of a blade of grass seemed to turn it dark. It did not wither, but something stained it. Lou did not recognize her as they approached, joined by the court, Nawada in his night tunic, and Gavida drool staining his shirt from sleeping on a table yet again. So too did Ogma come, carrying arms and the barred corpri, and many guards and servants. She was blonde, her hair frayed and stained dark at the tips with something thick. So too was her dress stained, which was familiar to Lou. But this was more clearly red. This was blood. The woman was covered in blood, mumbling something inaudible as she continued to try and clean her hands off. Blue eyes were strained, wide and leaking tears that made the blood on her face run. He knew her, he realized. Lou had to know her. What is wrong? came someone else, a voice Lou realized must be Nawada. Yet it sounded so feeble to him. Lou looked to Bridget, but found her gone, moved forward to fall at the woman's side and embrace her. She fell on Bridget's shoulder crying as Bridget joined her in tears, for she knew the woman. And so did Lou. It was Airmid. Sovereign queens, he said, covering his mouth. Gods, Aramid was covered in blood. He fell to his knees before her, taking her hands, letting the blood stain his own. Aramid? Aunt Aramid? He felt his own voice breaking, fear rising in him. There was blood and so much, and I tried to put it back, and he hit him, but he kept healing, so there was more blood and so much, and then he hit him too hard, too fast, too many times, and I tried to stop him, and we all did, and it did not matter because he's dead now. Lou tried to understand, but knew in his heart a relative of his was dead, but who did it, and who was dead? I need you to be clear, aunt. What happened? Bridget chastised him. Lou! Her glare told him to stop, to not pursue further. Bridget held her knees closer, brushing her hair back and kissing her on the head. They both wept, Airman's eyes were relaxing, and then closed, her breathing slowing. She did not drift off. I came to see Lou this afternoon, to bring him to Bruna Boyne, to bring reason to Father and Mick, and when I returned, Father had a blade drawn and chased Mick around the construction site for the well... Every time father hit my brother, he would heal. He would hit him twice, and then he would heal twice. Thrice, Mick would heal three times, but Dean Set is the greatest of healers. He knows how magic healing works. He brought the sword down once, twice, thrice, four times into Mick's head. And then he fell, bleeding, his skull split open, and he did not heal. 
I watched the lights leave his eyes. I watched my twin die, Lou. Nearby, Gavita was weeping as much for his older brother being dead as for the fact it had been his father that had done it. Rest assured, Kim Nawada, deeply unsettled from the rattle in his voice, there will be a trial. Ermid shook her head. No, there won't be. Nothing can bring Mick back. Lou felt Nawada's hand on his shoulder and lifted upward, turning to his king. Bring your grandfather here. I want to know why he did this. Lou nodded and left the hill for his abode, for his spear, his horse, and his hound. Behind him, he heard Bridget's weeping rising up, as full of anger as sadness for her niece and nephew. It was only in the darkness of the side of Tara that Lou let his own tears fall. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sydney Yeager, who would never kill her siblings. Music by Scott Buckley, who can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Additional sounds by Burrow Sounds. Want to contact us? Reach out? Train our children in martial combat? Look for us on social media at The Goddessy Podcast, and we'll probably teach you magical healing. Or we won't. Want to support the show? Then we might teach you magical herbalism. Support us on Patreon for early access episodes, behind-the-scenes shenanigans, and a look at Goddessy's next season, most of which I need to get on. Goddessy updates every Monday. See you next week.